0: Thank you very much Tony, and thank all three of you for um, very illuminating retrospects and prospects through our complexities. Um, In a second I will throw this all over to the floor, uh, but first I must make two business announcements which I should have made at the beginning. Um, The first is that in embarking on this great conversation you have to sign a kind of implicit consent form or like undergoing uh, some major operation that the thing should be podcast because um, Oxford University, our sponsors are extremely anxious otherwise they're all going to be sued by somebody or other. So if you, I think ideally uh, speaking uh, you are, um, as you were, giving consent to this um, uh, uh, podcasting. And the second uh, more cheering thought is that at the end of this you're all cordially invited to... Um, a drink, I think one drink. You said, or rather, uh, <laughs> severe way at the Red Lion around uh, the corner, on the corner of Bowman Street at, at, at Whitehall. Yeah. Um, uh, so you're very welcome to that. Right, now let's uh, let's uh, floor uh, uh, you, second from the left on the front row, please. Thanks, and um, <coughs> Mark Thompson, I'm uh,
1: the little down a bit of Mark I'm going to say the end. Um, it's to, um, in a paradox uh, there's been some very uh, significant constitutional change and yet people are with politics um, and, but and I, I, I said that as well. well. Uh, I wonder if it's because we haven't gone far enough because we don't have a time it's the swing voters in the constituency on, and feel disenfranchised. Um, And um, I think the MP's expenses scandal, that you touched upon as well, you said that you can before that, you can accept the suspicion, and I agree as well. But I wonder if um, uh, people in the constitutional reform movement have done enough. I I discovered that there was a link between the safety of an MP's seat and the likelihood of them having been involved in the expenses scandal. If you're in the top 25% of safety seats, you're three times more likely to have been involved in the scandal than the bottom 25%. Now I published that in my blog, and it did get some coverage in the media, but I've it, not seen any more any serious academics follow it up and actually see whether you know there
2: is actually because it's just me out I'm, I'm not a statistic, um, and I just wonder
1: if there's been enough focus on this as the biggest political crisis in certainly in my lifetime the time I've been in politics, um, and I wonder if that's something that the panel. I think we have focused on it, but it
3: could be
4: the golden opportunity to actually get some change.
1: It's, it's not a great situation for us
4: to be in with our politics, but I wouldn't reckon there is this opportunity. Can you tell me that uh, answer there? Um, you're not surprised, that say, I say I agree with you, but actually part of the solution has to be um, going further. Um, I think particularly in the sense, if you look at the reforms that have happened, probably the most radical periphery, not being disrespectful to Scotland Wales and Northern Ireland, but if you take the heart of the British state, has not been as touched as much as it would be if you were in in Northern Ireland or you were living in in Scotland or in parts of Wales. The impact of this constitutional revolution has been at its most um, extreme the further you are away, in some ways, from Westminster. Um, And actually, there is a huge case. For for more reform. I think where Tony's right is that yes, we need um, institutional reform, and my organisation exists to help deliver institutional reform, whether it be to the electoral system, to decentralise the power, to reform the House of Lords, whatever. But also, we have to change culture. And I think the lesson from the last 20 years is that's more difficult than actually just institutional reform. Institutional reform is an important part of it, but changing the culture is um, is vital. And where I think the MP's expenses scandal comes in, in one sense, it's both a positive and a negative. On the positive side, it convinces people that, that actually the system is broken. And that is actually, I, mean, I used to go on the radio and I used to constantly kind of have to try and I, I actually remember being in one of these rooms and Tony asked me a question about something. He said to me, I have to actually prove that things are broken to justify them being changed. And and it was kind of a salient lesson for me that I actually have to kind of justify why change. Now, in the minds of the public, the MPs expenses scandal has cemented the fact that things are broken. The downside is the culture of anti politics, and the you know, reformers have to be careful, we don't, but we don't promote the culture of anti politics, has become greater. I now talk about us operating in the age of Paxman. Basically, the public thinks now that all politicians and all people involved in politics are like, And that's a very corrosive and dangerous place to be. I think it's somewhere we're going to be for quite a long time. But we have to use that to produce positive change at the same time convincing people that, that things can change. And that's why it's actually quite difficult. You know, we As a movement, we have to be an optimistic, hopeful one that I, things can be better. And the problem is that one of the dangers of the scandal is actually that not that the anger, which was there at the beginning, but actually it's very quickly turned to lots, in the minds of lots of people to the idea that no change can happen, but it's not worth changing, that you can't change it, because they're all, you know, if you get rid of this person, the same person's, person's going to be as bad. And that is actually a very difficult thing
0: for us to deal with. Gentleman in the middle there.
1: Thank you. Um, the of powers, I'm from the Campaign for Real democracy, it's a very grassroots uh, campaign about localism, really real localism to um, and it does, talk about the thinking about the Constitution and the political of the economy that we live in. I so say thank you to the gentleman here about the conclusion for one thing. I hope that gets uh, paused on, but it's very interesting what I thought, and that um, will be checked out about maybe about how the power corrupts is kind of an area in a yeah. nutshell. Um, but my, my point really is, like, I'm hoping I can give, hopefully offer something in terms of um, simplifying things. I don't know if I can achieve it. I'm here with three students from school, I'll work out if we look at um, what Charger ATA has achieved and attempts to achieve, I see it as being confused, and I agree with you, about that. I'd like to think about what are those keys about? What is the key that will be unlocked democracy? So first of all, to, to start by think, things. what is democracy? What is real democracy? Look at this room. There's a table You're sitting around here. It's half a semicircle. Interestingly, symbolically, only someone sees the film. Um, it's not a whole circle, and we're sitting here and we listen to you. great, and you presented interesting important <coughs> information. But really, general, that's a structure, a very grassroots structure, that for me is, is missing in so terms of how we think about democracy. Well, I, we should be more equal here, I think, in the way that we sit and the way that we relate and, and about how voice gets expressed. Now, we live in a country of 60 million people, so that's a very identity point of view to put across. But real democracy can happen in small groups of people. I, I've lots of groups I'm involved in, make decisions in a, with consensus decision making, where everybody speaks, and it takes time, deliberation takes place, it's very transparent, there's no closed <coughs> things, things, decisions are made behind closed doors, and it takes time, but eventually consensus is reached, and if it isn't reached, people, people go away to think about it some more, and or, or but you think of an idea that we can have consensus around and by doing that, you create, you know, there isn't a minority that feels excluded, a large minority. So that's one thing. That works with small groups of people. So for me, it can work in neighbourhoods. That's the first point. It can work where people live. <coughs> obviously, to get people together to do this sort of thing, it's hard to tell them to do it. They're so busy. And that's about cultural change. Talking about. Now, the confusion, I think, is that Social HCA on the one hand has this shocking and it's looking at the traditions of our society. I like to call this all stuff traditions. There are good traditions and there are bad traditions in our constitution. What we need to do, and what Class of I think is effective doing is considering what are the good traditions, what are the bad traditions, let's get rid of the bad ones, when we need new ones, let's make new ones and keep the good ones. And that's a call, but if you want cultural change, if you want genuine cultural change, I think we need to really consider much more radically the way that the state and the market controls and, and suggests and um invade it continues to invade everybody's lives. So right wingers believe that we should need a smaller state. They're kind of far right. Left <coughs> wingers believe we need, we need the markets are so influential in our society. They're kind of right. What we well, therefore we need it, the argument is <coughs> that actual, it's actually about space in which there is no where the market and the state kind of get out of the way so that a new constitution can be built by people. I think that's that constitution has to have value of equality.
0: So can, we, can I stop My point is that
1: can we start to consider the civil society as the third, real third way from the ground up that can actually have equality one day with the state and the market? And we have to consider what that would involve. And we have to allow that space so that people can create a new political economy Based upon the values inherent in what we think of as real democracy, where everyone is equal, where decisions are made through decision making that is open and transparent, and to finally finish what Mr.
5: Wright spoke of
2: about government, strong government where people can act together. At the moment when people
5: try to do
0: things in their ways it's oh, almost yeah, impossible it's academic. to get anything done. Well I don't think it is academic, I and mean, I do I mean I do very much take your point which is that we need to revive the public square. We need to have much larger uh, forms of deliberation and not uh, this little de all by a panel. Um, uh, tell you what to do. I entirely take that point, but I think we must have some other ones too. Gentleman on sorry, the seat. I have uh, question. I, uh, I uh, run an
4: organization called the Independent Network and promote more independent candidates. Um, uh, it's one of the interesting things about things like democratic reform. It's very rare anybody actually mentions the uh, political parties and the status of them within a society in their position and uh, it was alluded to very briefly how the Labour Party's own self-interest, and I think we've mention mentioned that self-interest of political parties, pretty much can constrain and, in fact, impact the reform of things like the house of Lords and obviously the constitutional, uh, the democratic process. Um, what, what could we actually see within democratic reform, and what's the position of political parties in that basis? Certainly,
0: political
4: um, parties. What do
6: we do about that? Um, I mean that is a good question, but I don't think I probably agree with where you're coming from, because it's true that political parties are in secular long term decline. That's part of the decline of formal politics in this country. One of the building blocks of our political system is is massively being being corroded. And yet we have this fundamental fact that political parties are absolutely indispensable for offering people coherent political choice. It's it's the only way that you you get coherent programmes offered to an electorate, and it's the only way you can be sure of holding a group of politicians to account collectively. So you've got you've got again one of these many paradoxes. You've got you've got the paradox that an absolutely indispensable institution, because of the function that it performs, is in grave decline and so the question becomes do we try to as it were to to rebuild the formal institution or do we find other ways of, of doing things uh, and the answer is you probably tried both uh, which is what you know why they're trying the primaries for, for parties to try to, 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 to open them up make them people more involved um, I'm actually quite in favor of thinking about how we can enable people who are not party people because, you know, the fact is something percent of the people in this country are not party people. And if we have a political system where the gatekeepers to political life, to civic life, are entirely party-based, by necessity, you will shut out vast numbers of people, so I think it's it's a good thing to try and think of how we can retain the indispensability of party for coherent political choice, while at the same time trying to find new ways to involve other people in civic life. That's why I'm keen, for example, not just to have a wholly elected House of Lords, because I don't want to lose the element which I think is a rather fertile element are people who are not party people, and I think people value that. I'd quite like to think of ways in which, certainly at the local level, we could find a way of bringing non-attached people into 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 the local local authorities. So I'm I'm you know I'm I'm sort of understand where you're coming from, but I need you to understand where I'm coming from as well. well
0: okay. the on the left called
3: parliamentary reform And I wouldn't necessarily consider myself overtly political, but <laughs> my learning for the last few weeks has been incredibly steep. And I think all of you, whether you're from pressure groups or from parties, is all having vested interest in retaining the state square compression pressure as you say. And not actually thinking creatively about ways that you can include people. There is a huge amount of technology out there that can enable people to talk about issues without having to necessarily take a box that says I'm left, I'm right. There are other ways to engage people that I think are much more effective, and I've spoken to a lot of young people, and a lot of people my age, you know, middle-aged people, older people, who are sitting there and say, well actually I'm not bothering to vote, and I'm pretty astonished by that, because they feel like they've had to be alienated. And I don't hear anything here that suggests
2: that you're thinking anyway is that an sort of like academic box or a collective box or use new technology. <coughs> so I think you're, you know, you have a vested interest in the training people. David, do we have a vested interest? Well, I um, you're making some interesting points i think that uh, i mean one thing i wanted to say is that there's a very good book by by someone called dalton called democratic challenges democratic choices and he i think it's is the reverse actually but i mean he makes a very good case that pretty much all <coughs> advanced wealthy democracies are facing whatever their institutions whatever their configuration pretty much the same issues of low turnout and public anger public apathy and so it can't only be about institutional reform that's, that's going on in fact all the data from all the other countries suggests that what pretty much whatever you do with your institutions, you're not going to achieve all that much, which is a very, very sad fact, but it does seem to be the evidence. I mean, there's, there is some evidence from New Zealand that changing the electoral system has improved matters to, to an extent, and I, I think that it is a very unfortunate the Labour Party you know, failed to, to deliver on the commitment of the, of the referendum on that, and I completely take your point that new technology could achieve an awful lot to... I mean, to to, to achieve this notion to a large extent of popular sovereignty. And this is a very, very big value in the Charter, that that the Constitution ultimately (coughs) belongs to the people, and and popular sovereignty is important. Unfortunately, it wasn't necessarily clear whether the Charter was always consistent on that. Certainly when it came to Europe, they were inconsistent on that. But this notion of popular sovereignty can be dangerous, because it can... Get a result in minorities and, and, and uh, you know suffering disadvantages. So it should and, and lo- lo- lots of other problems with it. But it is a very important value. And yes, I agree with you that new technology could could could, could do a lot in relation to that.
0: Right at the back there. Yeah. Oh, okay. I
3: Right, sense about the fact that we need to be confident on a state that works and, and you we know, have some constitutional reform already, and it may it happens works as well. But I think, I think it's very dangerous to sit up this discrepancy between a state which works democratically and a state which works in any other respect. I think we need to think about what we really want while we say constitutional reform. We don't want constitutional reform. State works. If you want to say that works, if we want to say that works really well, we'll go into the fascist dictatorship, and we to have so many of them to the What we want is a good society to live in, a society to all participate in, and actually we are try to that against any really short-term difficulties in the world where they're being have I mean, even over 10 years, difficult will happen if you do any kind of constitution, Well, well,
6: the problem is, never mind about other people, I speak for myself, I do want a state that works well. I mean, I do want the trains to run on time, but I want the trains to run on time without being Mussolini. I want, I want a police force that catches criminals. I want schools that educate my children properly. I want a health service that cures me. I want all these things. That's a state working well. I think those are the constituents of a decently run and livable in society. So I, wouldn't, I just wouldn't accept the contrast here. I think, I think a constituent of good government is good accountability, good scrutiny, and all that. But for goodness sake, don't put these in separate boxes. Gentleman the front.
1: Uh, Hill, I'm actually an activist uh, from democracy. Uh, and with all the concentration in the vision of people around this vicinity about, uh, in the Westminster village about an election sometime next year, they completely missed the fact that there's already been an election in the of village, uh, in Fletcher, which I went to on behalf of of democracy and by election because the poor unfortunate incumbent died uh, and uh, 2008 had seen the collapse in the labor force and they lost control to an alliance of Tory, Lib Dem and independent councillors uh, so it was like, shall we say, it was, was, a, we say, it was a, a vision of what might happen somewhere else too um, we didn't have any impact on democracy in the voter turnout but it was over 50 percent in a local council election which is quite quite remarkable in terms of these days and that was helped by the fact that they had a hell of a choice there the were three mid parties and two independents and i'm sure that the, the turnout was a reflection of the fact that people thought it would make a difference uh, that they, they had a real choice in, that, in those particular uh, circumstances. The election was won by an independent. <laughs> the three main parties all had excellent candidates and ran a strong campaigns, but people in their area could have preferred an independent. And it was described by the local media as a landslide result, landslide victory for the independent. The independent candidate got 29. Percent of the vote yeah and so one of the things that we're about is you know what would have been the difference if there had been the alternative vote operating or the STV or anything rather than the ridiculous situation you know, but more than two-thirds of the people in that area sure, right, yeah. voting for someone else Absolutely. Can yeah. the, 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 last, the last point and that is one of the things that's come out of the election or will be in, the, in a follow-up, Is a further meeting of the five candidates, if they all would have appeared, with a, one of them is now the elected councillor, with a view of drawing up a job description for, for the councillor for the future, uh, i.e., a written, a written job description and a contract with the local community, because there is no responsibility as to what the person does or what an MP does for that matter. And that, therefore, just to finish, is uh, there will be an ongoing dialogue in that area between yeah. the candidates and the community. Sir, so, uh, I have uh, three questions. Very short, I think one. one. Can you just
0: narrow it down to one another? I didn't talk
1: to a lot of people, because it is very
3: interesting. I don't want to share this well. In the same way, I have three uh, yeah. countries related to one university this question is, that you may mention the
1: idea of assets
0: Right, okay, and one more question. Uh, Gentleman that.
1: Thank Brumber. you very much. Just looking forward to uh, what you might want to be, uh, how you take it forward, um, three ideas, one um, the first thing I think very important is to draw any more of this stuff about left and right and where you've come from the left, and start being representing mm-hmm. the people against the state. That is the way I see it, bearing mm-hmm. mind the changes over the last 20 years. The second thing I'd, I'd suggest is that there should be an ideal to support the institution inside the Constitution, which Dr. Wright referred to, and that hasn't happened. We the undermined these basic of many of the problems and I would suggest that on that bigger point that one of the reasons for the is not the major one, but the fact that the MPs didn't matter anymore. So no one was supporting getting lots more money because they had no perceived important problem. And I think that's a very important issue. So we've undermined select committees, we've undermined the MPs, we've undermined the, the cabinet, we've undermined all the different functions. A very important thing. And the third thing is just something that Mr. Earl said earlier, said earlier, which was what are the principles underlying the uh, Constitution? And perhaps in principles, not an action list, which is what the ten, totally reasonable ones can but it was an action list, because it a sort of shopping list, an action list. But to go back and say, these are the other principles we stand for. it's much easier uh, to operate with those, it wouldn't have to be very many. Those are the three suggestions i Getting forward into an
5: organisation might have a big i John Strachan, uh, can I just uh, follow up, um, uh, Chairman, on your point about Europe? Because this is a huge gap in, uh, in our Democracy's democracies uh, kind of portfolio. Um, I've recently done research, and for example, things I didn't know: in the European Parliament elections every country has its own system of election so we've got 27 different ways of electing members of the same parliament and this is not just academic I mean not only uh, the Treaty of Rome in 1957 said that all the countries should harmonise their electoral systems there's only been one step uh, to do that it was in the year 2000 when they said they had to be proportional but they didn't say how proportional, uh, because we've got closed list systems, we've got single transferable vote systems, we've got open list systems, uh, and then having done all having have all these different systems, they then have different ways of counting them. We have the, the, the Honk method of counting, and so on and so on and so on. And it's, it's very, very serious. For example, uh, the age of voting in Italy is 25. So, if I'm an Italian living in Rome I couldn't, uh, at the age of 24, I couldn't have voted in the last elections, but I could vote in London because the voting age here is 18. And this is all for the same parliament. I mean, it is quite ludicrous, and I'm amazed and staggered that there hasn't been a huge debate about the uh, electoral kind of a democracy. Uh, for uh, I won't go on to about, about the commission and the council of ministers and what have you, but just that. Basic Parliament, and I think right.
0: we, we should. One it final, final question.
1: Uh, uh, yes, yeah. uh, I'd like to point out that uh, <coughs> I'm a member of Democracy Unlocked and 38 Greens. I'd like to point out that the, the main problem with all the situation at this moment in time is the distrust of the public with politicians. If they can put a uh, regulatory uh, and legal Contract into their manifesto, right? In actually, a like, um, follow a practice. I think you find that more people actually go out and vote for England. Right?
0: Okay, thank you very much. So I think we've now time for a couple of minutes, then more than that from each of our three panelists. Um, Dr. Wright, um, what's interesting about the last?
6: question, of course, is that in many respects we're in a much better position than we once were because, because of all kinds of transparency and accountability mechanisms. We know far more about people in public life than we used to. I mean we used to know nothing about people in public life, which means that when you read the memoirs and you discover all the things they got up to, um, they wouldn't last five minutes here these days. And you may say trust was far higher but it was a trust founded upon comprehensive ignorance and deference. Now we live in a world where that's all gone. Now we live in a goldfish bowl world. Uh, the committee that I chair was instrumental in making sure that parliament was included in the Freedom of Information Act. If we hadn't done that, we'd have had no MP expenses rather, because nobody would have known. It would have been impossible to, to disclose the information. And one of, one of the many paradoxes that I keep talking about is that the more Accountability mechanisms you put in, the more transparency mechanisms you put in, in a sense, the, the less trust you have, because what people can see they don 't really like yes. because they, and so and so you, it now you know one hopes in the spirit of constitutional optimism that this is a, a transitional period that we shall enter a more grown up world where people you know will not. Um, Will not regard every disclosure as a as a reason for further uh, disengagement. I mean, one of the reasons. Can I just add? So I'm not sure how long I can go on for. But one of the reasons why um, I'm quite interested in how how we do things in the House of Commons is partly because I think the House of Commons matters. Um, If we start if we start thinking that the country's central representative institution doesn't matter, then I think we really are in trouble. But I think it, because it, the way that it operates at the moment reflects a world that doesn't exist. It reflects a world, I think, which still thinks it's engaged in sort of tribal politics of 50 years ago. And the sort of things that people are recommending, which is, which is a more grown-up, and more consensual way of doing things, which are far more normal in other political systems, is quite alien here. We just come here to knock six bells out of each other. Um, you know, and that's what it, you know many merits in that, but it's not i don't think a very grown up way of doing politics so if, if we I think amongst other things that we can do, we can try to do things slightly differently here. I put a salutary note in um that you know there really isn't a magic bullet here all. There's no reason to think, for example, that other electoral systems, and I speak as an electoral reformer, there's no real evidence, the academics will correct me if I'm wrong, to suggest that other electoral systems have a real impact on electoral participation. They seem not to. They certainly don't have a an impact on whether you have corruption or not. Um, you know, we don't have corruption because we've got a first-past-the-post electoral system. Look at STV systems around the world. Look at all kinds of systems. I mean, there's, so there's no, there's no connection there and that brings you back to the to the cultural point. And then perhaps I'll just end by picking up the Europe question, not because I want to talk about Europe, but because I think it illustrates a general question to which I haven't got an answer but goes to the heart <coughs> of many of our issues. It seems to me that we we want Europe because democracy is about going to where power is. It's about trying to discipline power in the public interest. Now and most people understand that power has ceased to reside at the level of the nation-state. If you really want to get a grip of big things in the world, like the financial, like global financial institutions, you've got to go to another level to get hold of them. So that's the fundamental reason why democracy has to go to the levels where the power is. But the problem then is, how on earth, in doing that, do you make it recognizably democratic? Because it just feels alien and out there. And we don't know the answer. We do not know the answer to that.
4: Let me follow on from Tony, because I'm I'm a passionate for European, That's actually a health warning. It means a lot of the audience I talk to, I'm in a minority of one. Um, But I'm also a passionate for democracy. I think there is a huge challenge in terms of how we make government above the level of the nation, the nation state, work. Um, The European Union is probably the most democratic attempt in in global history to do it. Um, It is not sufficient. How we actually build a a democracy at a continental level where there isn't a single nation, where people come from very different cultures, from different countries, different backgrounds, is a huge challenge. Uh, and it may be one, which ultimately we are doomed to fail. The problem is if we're doomed to fail to create take democracy away from the state and move it to a supranational level, then ultimately that's a very bleak world. Because it actually means that you know, where there are decisions on a continental level global level, that ordinary citizens will not have control over that. Um, and unless you believe we can kind of turn the clock back, um, then that is going. That's kind of not a very optimistic one. On the other hand, I think there is the curdling of a kind of of a democratic debate at a European level, but. The, the, challenges challenge is, I don't think the democracy movement has managed to take that step. If I made democratic reforms from elsewhere in Europe, there isn't yet a European-wide democracy movement which actually organises and tries to ch- deal with the challenges. That's a challenge for the future, and it's a very difficult one. Um, let me just take on some of the other things. I think one of the things we have to say, I, I regularly say to some political activists, whether they be independents, or feminist political parties. And I actually thank them, because actually, anybody who gets engaged in politics, whether it be as a community activist, or as a, as a member of a party, or whether they're running an independent campaign, or a local political party, or whatever, are actually people who are trying to improve the quality of our democracy. I think mm-hmm. as a society, we actually have to thank those people more and actually celebrate them, because actually they are part of the solution, not the problem. Um, And in our small way, I try and ensure that we do that, but we as an organisation do not promote the idea that actually people who are involved in politics are bad, because we are part of the political system ourselves as an organisation and we can celebrate it. I am optimistic about the democratic future of this country because I actually believe this country has a huge potential to change and adapt and reform over time, and I think our like history shows that, and I think the last 20 years show that, and I think, yes, there are great changes going forward, but I am optimistic that we can find solutions.
1: Yeah,
2: I, th- I think Peter's point about uh, politics and involvement in politics is extremely important because I honestly think that that many of the reforms which have taken place have been important and they've been, uh, in many cases, valuable. And I also think that it's very disappointing that so many people have such a negative uh, view of of, of politics in this country. It is far, far, far from perfect. And a lot of it is self-interested. But politicians in this country are not desperately corrupt. In fact, they're, uh, compared to many parts of the world, very uncorrupt. And I, I don't believe that... Most uh, politicians are, are, are more dishonest than the average uh, member of the public. And I think that uh, Peter's right. If we're going to have a conversation about improving democracy, we have to have that as a positive conversation and not a negative conversation in terms of being so negative about politicians. It's a democratic conversation. Because we all about democracy, this is not
1: a well, The next meeting is a democratic meeting.
2: Everyone has equal. Hasn't but, what, what <laughs> well, I think <laughs> if you, I mean, <laughs> to, to, to be fair, lots, lots of members of the audience, including yourself, made, made, made quite substantial contributions. But in any case, we. we, <laughs> we <laughs> well, we well. didn't have a conversation. One way is one way
1: traffic. I'm just breaking the rules now. That's the only way I can like actually have two way traffic. And anyone else. Well, let's just sign up, to be I think that's fair enough to let them get on with that. You know, because we've all got something to get as well. Sorry. Um... Yes, so <laughs> uh, just a few,
2: a, a, a few more, sorry, I think we do need, yeah. <that-> I mean,
3: I'm not so sort of sure that, you know, every meeting we do should be entirely democratic, but so I do get the sense, as a young person and a woman, that I am just in another room being lectured at by four white guys more often <laughs> I'm sorry, it
2: happens. We are, we are. Yes, you, we, sorry. you
3: were coming to a discussion on democracy, you came knowing you were going to hear these people
2: and the other thing is I have you to, to say we, we had planned the meeting with Helena Kennedy and Helena Kennedy pulled out, we made, we made a huge effort to include yes. uh, a, a more representative panel and that's not the reason for
3: not
2: having people to sit around a bit closer to you like well people could have sat wherever they wanted to
3: sit and I'll give it to you
2: Anyway, just to uh, to close, I mean, all three panellists uh, mentioned Europe, and I think that uh, it's it's true we need to find a democratic conversation in Europe, but that is just as much about cultural issues as it is about institutional issues, and, and that's uh, going to be a really... Big, big challenge ahead and the European community is involved in lots of issues I mean, maybe being from the law faculty I realise it's more than others like health and safety and various other matters which at least from a right of centre point of view that the EU just doesn't have a business involving itself in so if it had, was more modest than its political ambitions and also tried to create a culture of engagement I'm sure it could achieve a lot more
0: Fine, thank you very much um, I do want to say something particularly to the gentleman in the middle I entirely agree with you. I think that the absence of large public equal debate uh, within what used to be called the public square or in the Roman Republic, the forum where everyone would come and speak on equal terms, I think that is something that is very much missing in our, our democracy. I absolutely agree with that. And I also agree with what the gentleman in front of you said, which I think is very important, and which really is see several echoes from speakers around this table, which is that one of the first things we need to do is to support and rebuild the existing institutions, as well as building outside them opportunities for equal popular engagement. We need to rebuild parties by all sorts of We need to rebuild select committees or enhance them um, within Parliament, all these things to do. And I think what we get at the end of this review is this very strong sense that yes, there are a great number of things that we fail to achieve and there is this great paradox, as Tanya said, that there's been all this stuff and people are still fed up. But I mean, I think we are at the beginning of a completely different kind of phase, which is re it. We've come to the sort of absolute tail end of the exhaustion of the old traditions and we are at the beginning of what needs to be um, a whole new um, process of re-engagement, which will probably last another 20 years at least. Anyway, thank you all very much for coming, and uh, congratulations to those who have carried the flag all these years. And um, I hope that um, you know there's more to come.
3: Thank you.